Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And I'm Brian Colbert Kennedy. And today's question is... Mouthful. What can the gigantic, huge, you wouldn't believe it, uh, food and beverage companies in America do right now to improve U.S. food systems and drive trends uh, towards a more sustainable future? You're being weird today. (laughs) That's an understanding. (laughs) Rolling on no sleep. No sleep. Uh, yeah, it's a loaded one. It's a complicated one, but we're going to find out why. But also, this feels like clickbait. The one simple yeah. <laughs> thing you can do to address all of it at once. Because uh, it's a lot. Yeah. Our sure guest is. today, the esteemed uh, Jennifer Mlechko. Uh, she is a consultant at the World Bank uh, focused on sustainable development, specifically agriculture, specifically livestock. Uh, she corrected me 12 times, yeah. which is great. Perfect. <laughs> as the world as it should be. <laughs> She's very smart and she knows everything. She <laughs> She knows everything. She's like, I specifically do this. And I asked a bunch of questions. She's like, 20 minute answer. I mean, God, if I could do that on one thing, I'd retire. You could. Mm, What's the one thing? How we're all going to burn. Well, (laughs) (laughs) nobody wants to hear that. I know. Anyway, she has set up shop in the past at the Office of Energy and Environmental Industries, the International Trade Administration, the National Soybean Research Center. Does Habitat for Humanity and also a couple other surprising places where yeah. she nor we figured out how she got there. <laughs> but hey, uh, everybody's got one of those in their past. Yeah, this was very cool. This is a conversation I'm very happy to uh, have everybody listen to because um, it's hugely important and gets, I think, buried under other very important uh, issues, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. but but needs uh, everybody's attention uh, so that we can make some changes. Yeah, we try to talk about things again that's affecting everybody right now or in the next ten years. Right, and uh, everybody has to eat food. We all got to eat, and we just need to eat different food. So uh, yeah, excited. Let's go talk to Jennifer. Me too. Let's get into it. All right. Our guest today is Jennifer Malechko, and today we're asking, uh, what can the gigantic food and beverage companies? Uh, of which we're going to illustrate for you, because it's crazy, uh, do right now to improve U.S. food systems and drive tent trends toward a more sustainable future. That's a lot. Uh, <laughs> Jennifer, welcome. Hi. Happy to be here chatting with you guys. Wow. And we are very happy to have you. Yes, yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> for sure. So, uh, yeah, the great way to start is to just let us all know who you are and what you do. All right. Uh, so I guess um, a bit of background Okay, so kind of from the beginning, uh, have you ever heard of meats judging? Nope. Nope. Let's do it. <laughs> so, all right. So it's this really unique thing um, that is in a lot of kind of land grant universities and big agricultural universities. And it's basically meat science. I mean, you judge pork, lamb, and beef on muscling, trimness, and quality. I got into it because I was originally planning to go to vet school. And it gave me a lot of insight on, you know, meat processing facilities and slaughterhouses that a lot of people don't actually get to see. And while I did meet a lot of great people who really care about their animals and, you know, really working hard to feed the world, it was a view of kind of the inside look of the industrialized food system. And I don't know, for me, it just seemed just really unnatural, Um, just like, I mean, anyone who I think would enter a slaughterhouse would would think... Uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Um, and so I kind of started thinking then, you know, what would a food system that is sustainable for animals, workers, environment, and also feed the world might look like? So then I kind of bounced around topics between crop sciences, animal sciences, political science, um, but ultimately did get my degree in environmental science. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't during my, and then it wasn't until really my master's program and actually did a dual master's that I really started to see the social implications of food systems, the influence of globalization, international trade, market consolidation, and the way we produce our food. I worked during my master's in the International Trade Administration's Energy and Environmental Technologies Office, long title, at the Department of Commerce, and then also did some work with an urban farming startup in Chicago, which was really cool. And then spent a year in Costa Rica. And so I kind of got views of of food systems from a a variety of perspectives before landing my current job. So uh, currently working as a consultant at the World Bank, um, I'm taking the role of a 
research analyst on global trends, particularly as it pertains to the sustainability of the livestock sector, which I'm sure you're aware is the most resource resource intensive sector in agriculture. But it was kind of a perfect fit. Uh, I get to take my experience from all these variety of sectors and kind of really apply it, connecting the dots, helping see emerging trends. And also, I felt like it came full circle. I left animal sciences for a focus on the environment, and now I do livestock and environment work. Wow. So like most of our, yeah. our guests, you're a, you're a bum. You I, do, think you do nothing. <laughs> I think she's Captain Planet. She's she, amazing. Like, she literally brought together like earth and wind and right, fire right. And, and water. And she's like, and now Thank I'm in you. charge of cows, Thank I think. Um, that's amazing. I and mean, it turns out cows are killing us all. Yep. Awesome. Um, that is super killing. So I, I just wanted to deviate real quick because you mentioned yeah. offline before we got started uh, that you are a first generation uh, American welcome to the hellscape that is yeah. that is us sorry yeah. it seems like you barreled kind of straight into food stuff did you did is there some sort of uh food history with your family or or is, I, I guess i'm just curious how how you pointed yourself towards it and and uh if there's any backstory there or anything like that yeah uh so i mean i guess i always grew up with a pretty close relationship with food um my parents came from pretty I mean, my dad came from the city in Poland and my mom in like rural areas, but both, I mean, grew up farming chickens and, and cows and, and kind of, you know, subsistence farming really for their own and then obviously selling some of it. But they really come, came from those areas. And so when they moved to the U.S. and then kind of moved to the suburbs, they really wanted to, you know, on you know, a small plot of land have you know, some produce growing. And then, you know, we would, I know occasionally growing up, my dad would go and order, you know, half a pig and butcher it in our garage. Or, you know, we had a wow. smokehouse out back. And, and 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 this is like very suburbia, Illinois. So, you know, we were, we were those neighbors. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, but then I quickly realized kind of growing up that most of my friends, you know, people at college, they didn't have the same relationship that I had to food. And I guess, you know, with this whole meat science thing that I kind of jumped into right away um, in college, I mean, it, it was really backwards to me. I mean, coming from this, this background and relationship to food to like really firsthand seeing this industrialized, you know, mega food system, just kind of really put me on a path of, okay, there has to be a balance and then there has to be a better way to go about these things. So, so yes, there is quite a background. Yeah, definitely. There. That, that makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. Awesome. Uh, holy that's, cow. That's holy cow. Nice. Holy cow. Yeah. Ah, well done. Big fan ah, of puns. I'm here all day. <laughs> well, um, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> go ahead, Brian. Great. Okay. So that was, that's amazing. I can't, you do a lot. So we'll get our conversation going and, you know, and uh, like, like Quinn said, uh, we're here to, sort of figure out what we can uh, do to uh, assist uh, what you're doing to uh, fix this problem and, and uh, what find out what you know these food and bev companies can do. So we'll ask you some questions, uh, questions that require uh, answers that are actionable so that we can get our listeners to actually do something, um, if that sounds cool. Awesome. So uh, Jennifer, we do start with one important question, and that is instead of saying, tell us your life story, which I literally just did. Yeah. We like to ask, Jennifer, why are you vital to the survival of the species? Wow, okay. That's a <laughs> heavy question. Yeah. How's your adrenaline now? <laughs> yeah, right? Really, really pumping. Um, so I would say that everyone is vital to kind of, you know, our human species. I think the minute that we start to think we're unvital or we're just this autonomous being moving through society, you know, I think that's where things really go bad. I think if each of us thought about, okay, I am essential to creating change, I think each of us are are vital. And I think we need to start telling people, you know, every action that you do really impacts things. So, yeah. Awesome. I, I, I think that's a very selfless answer, but mm-hmm. at the same time, a, a good instructive one. Or as we like to say, just, just, just give a shit, people. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it makes much. a big difference. Yeah. Um, awesome. So uh, let's throw together a little context for everybody here. Uh, and Jennifer, please 
uh, jump in, correct us, run away, uh, whatever makes the most sense. So talking about uh, sustainable food and and specifically, uh, obviously, as you and I mentioned some emails, that is a complicated term. But in the context of sustainable today, food. Yeah. What can uh, are you mocking me, Brian? What was that face? No, I'm no, I was just clarifying for myself. Mm, OK, and for the listen. No. OK. In the context of today's question, which is what can the, the big food and beverage companies do to to push us much more quickly towards towards that? So uh, listeners may or may not know this, or maybe they have some idea, but basically there's about seven companies that own almost all the food you eat, unless you're buying strictly local pro- produce or growing it yourself. Uh, and of course, a lot of our listeners are doing some of that, but if it's even remotely packaged, uh, then that is by Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, General Mills, Kellogg's, uh, Mars, Nestle, and and Kraft. Uh, we will put the image of everything that they own. That umbrella, yeah. Yep, uh, in our show notes. And uh, uh, Brian will throw it up on social media. And um, if you haven't seen it, you should. It's pretty wild. Um, not necessarily a bad thing, but mm-hmm. also uh, a very complicated issue. So in light of that, uh, they are pretty much in control of the food system, which is why we need uh to to talk about it more uh there's a huge variety of issues with our human food chain uh which is mostly controlled by these companies and also a couple private ones but uh, the huge companies that grow the food whether it's uh corn or soy uh that go into most of these products and and some of those issues are industrial farming which is a conversation to itself added sugar uh monocrops uh plastics etc etc so what I want to know is, is again, you know, we're going to dig into is what can these huge companies that own everything you see in the grocery store do right now and soon, because we are in a little bit of a hustle uh, <laughs> to improve. Uh, let's talk specifically about U.S. food systems and drive some of these trends uh, towards a more sustainable future. So what does sustainable mean in this case? I guess there's, there's a variety of places we can go, of course. Uh, it's complicated, but let's start with livestock because i do believe that's uh your your forte uh, again there's a waterfall of issues from industrial farming and livestock from emissions to antibiotics to fertilizer in the water but let's come back to the question which is what can those seven companies do right now to improve the u.s livestock chain and drive us towards a more sustainable future livestock in itself is a really complicated issue and i mean I think the compli- the complicated part with sustainability and livestock is that you can't really look at one thing alone. Like you can't really look at just emissions or just water pollution or just land use. You ha- you kind of have to take them all into account, which obviously is hard to do. It- it's easier to look at those things in isolation. Um, so often, you know, I-, I guess in the U.S. we do a lot of industrialized farming and especially in livestock. And a lot of people will say that um, those are really low emissions intensity. So you have a lot of kilogram, low emissions per kilogram products. But you also have these major pollution issues with industrial farming systems like manure management, things like that. But in the US, there's also a lot of grazing that happens. Um, So for example, the whole kind of Western Plains, since we got rid of all the buffalo um, that used to manage kind of these systems and were kind of an inherent part to that ecosystem, we got rid of the buffalo, but ruminants and cattle are kind of a good substitute. Um, so they can kind of maintain those ecosystems and you know also promote sustainability. So I guess in terms of promoting sustainability in livestock sector in the US, I think we need kind of a comprehensive look on, you know, connecting, you know, the manure back to fertilizer for crops and and kind of make these things more cyclical and, you know, manage the pollution runoff and um and then promote the farmers and the ranchers that are doing these, you know, sustainable grazing, grass-fed practices. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we have the ecosystem that provides that for us, which is great. So, yeah. Well, now, to, to, to take the other, uh, not the other side of it, but sort of the one of the other perspectives, again, I, I know it's <clears throat> a complicated issue, but it, do you see a world where these companies can help start us 
driving for a variety of reasons, but, uh, you know, we'll come back to climate, I guess, towards a country that eats a lot less meat? So big food and ag companies, um, I mean, we can't, like, like you've already highlighted, ignore the huge influence that big food has on the sector. And while I love local food movements, and I mean, we all do, I think local and small scale farming is kind of the epitome of what we want to see. But, you know, with all these climate change reports coming you know, out recently, I mean, we don't have time. And, and I think big food and ag can really drive that kind of change. And we we're already starting to see it. Um, some companies are really looking at their supply chain and, and trying to, you know, source their, um, you know, commodities much better and from, you know, certified sources and, and things like that. But we have, I don't think we've actually really seen addressing the whole consumption issue. And I think there is a lot of promise in big ag doing good in terms of production methods, kind of on the supply side. But yeah, I, th- I think it's still up in the air as to how kind of big food and beverage companies can influence demand. And I mean, they would have to want to is the thing. Right. And, and it's complicated. You know, it's again, like to say, hey, fix this. Uh, you know, they could say, oh, well, let's see. It, um, you know, meat and, and, and cow milk production takes an unholy amount of water, right? It takes yeah. a huge amount of land that could be used for other things. Right. Uh, you know, literally cow farts are a massive methane problem uh, just because of how many uh, cows we have out there and methane being 10 times as potent as 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 uh, carbon yeah. dioxide. Um, I actually think it's cow burps, but... Well, there you go then. Boom, okay. both, Cow think. burps. But, you yeah. know, again, we can come to them and say like, oh, okay, so now there's research that says literally feeding cow seaweed can can drop the pro- <laughs> yeah. potency of the bat. Yeah. But, you know, it's... I recognize and... I hesitate to use the word, but I do think you have to a little bit. You have to empathize with these huge titanic companies that take a long time to turn around and a long time to institute things that say like, oh, you got to food feed your cow seaweed. It's like, well, that's a pretty fucking <laughs> yeah. complicated thing to figure out. At the same time, like you said, uh, the news recently hasn't been so great. Uh, and agriculture is, I think agriculture, which is, again, a loaded term, is something like 25% of our emissions, yeah. the U.S.'s yeah. emissions. Um, so we do have to start acting on it. Uh, and it seems insane yeah. to say, like, we have to start feeding cow seaweed to, to to save the planet, but we do. So I recognize that it's complicated. And and so we can throw a thousand things against the wall and say, they got to do this and they got to do that. And that would help it. So, But I, I do think what I want to do over the course of the episode is definitely specifically in this one, you know, drive towards things where, where we can have the most impact on them. So... Let's say for this one, for for adjusting livestock as far as production and and consumption and and emissions, what do you feel like are the things that you know our listeners and people in general can do to have the biggest impact? I mean, how much can from you know from their voice to 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 how they talk to their friends and everybody to their vote, which is like how much can they affect the farm bill to their dollar, you know, which is buying less meat or buying it locally, et cetera, et cetera. What are your thoughts on that front? Uh, I mean, I think in terms of, I mean, I think we should all be working to eat less meat. Uh, I mean, it's extremely resource intensive. And in the US, um, we're eating, I think, well above dietary recommendations. So even even dropping that, even eating less meat and, you know, kind of coming down to that level would be good. Um, I think... For the meat industry, especially, I mean, it's it's pretty notorious in the U.S. for being uh, consolidated and kind of all powerful, and also uh, they and, and not as transparent. Um, so I think you know demanding transparency from these companies, and I think if if there's anything that you're buying local, you should try to buy your meat local, whether it's from a CSA, a community. Sponsored agriculture projects or or something, you know, like that. I think that's the the most beneficial way. And I, I also think, in terms of actually these dietary recommendations. So um, recently, in in my research, I've been digging into you know how big industry has influenced our dietary recommendations. It's actually pretty well documented that big meat and dairy have 
for a long time, you know, kind of had a, had a pretty strong hold on these recommendations. And I think there was, I mean, there was quite a fight back in 2015 to move the recommendations towards a more plant-based diet. And we couldn't quite get it through um, here in the US, but mm. it is moving in other countries. And I think, you know, if we, you know, kind of talk to our family and friends saying, okay, you know, you can eat a healthy diet that is less meat. And actually, it, when this whole debate in 2015 was going on, um, there, I forgot what the American Association for Health, or I, for, I forgot what the association was that came out with kind of the, the recommendations to Congress um, was based on all science and academic that, you know, we should be eating less meats, more plants. It's good for the planet. It's good for our health. And maybe the next time these, because they're renewed every five years, these recommendations. So, you know, maybe the next time they come around, really, you know, start those debates. And then I think also a lot of people don't know too much about agricultural policy and how it influences our daily choices. So I think even asking your rep, you know, what kind of agricultural policies do you support would mm -hmm. be a good start. Uh, I think the farm bill debates get overshadowed by food stamps and, and crop subsidies, both of which are important issues. But I think we kind of fail to think about how these policies are affecting, you know, our daily choices and then, you know, the access that small farmers have to, you know, succeed. Sure, sure. When you live in a big city like Los Angeles, for example, where do you get local meat? What does that mean? So... There are. I'm actually. I'm not sure about Los Angeles. I know in DC. Oh yeah, um, or DC. We, sure. Yeah. So I know in DC, there's just looking through and and trying. There 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 are farmers markets that um, sell local yeah. kind of meat. But I've actually found that it might be that it's it can actually be pretty easy to subscribe to a CSA. Um, so what is that? you can get. So it's community, I think I got the acronym wrong earlier. So it's community supported agriculture. Oh, okay. And so it's it's farmers that kind of, it's more of a, from what I understand, often it's a subscriptive service. So you kind of guarantee that you will buy this kind of amount from a farmer every month or every week or whatever the, they all range. But uh, farmers enter these kind of kind of co-ops coalitions um, to kind of improve uh, market access for themselves and then also for consumers. So often, especially for meat, it could be easier to to look into. And it, it's also hard because states have different regulations on these things. So it's really dependent on kind of your region and and then what's allowed in terms of, you know, farmer access to, to these kind of resources. Yeah. It's sure. such a, I, I'm, I'm, I've been mo recently more than ever such an advocate for uh, not eating meat. And, and, and obviously that it is met with, uh, met with a fight uh, to most people right. that, that you talk to, but it would be so great to, it, you know, say, fine, if, you, if you're going to do it still, at least do this, you know, and get right. your meat here instead. Some, some sort of compromise. Yeah, exactly. Right. As mm. much as it's a big rush and we need to make radical changes, no, just starting sure. to push the people in your life towards, you know, incremental steps yeah. will, will, will make a difference. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's, let's talk about monocrops. First question. What's a mm -hmm. monocrop? So a monocrop is one crop that is planted in a field. I mean, and usually these fields are extremely expansive and huge. And monocrops are usually the commodity crops. So corn, soybean, um, cotton, these kind of huge staple crops. Okay. okay. Uh, and typically pretty bad for the environment. They require yeah. a lot of inputs, machinery, kind of really mono, especially for staple crops. Monocrops are really the only way to go in terms of, you know, succeeding in the U.S. as a farmer. Which is crazy because, uh, again, these are complicated as well. But, you know, these are also things like corn is killing our health as well. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's this isn't this isn't um, the corn that was grown 400 years ago. You know, it right. has been bred, bred for for taste or to feed those cows. 
uh, that we talked yeah. about. I think I think it's eighty percent of U.S. soybean goes to feed production. Damn, that's crazy! All that land right. being used yeah. for that, right? And and similarly, uh, monocrops, from what I understand, and please correct me uh, where I'm wrong and off base here, does not make the soil uh, very sustainable. Uh, and so while it could also be used for more nutritious foods and it's expansive, uh, we there's a huge uh, or at least a budding, potentially huge revolution underway to make our soil to, to revert it to the state where it can start sucking more of the carbon back out of the air mm-hmm. uh, like it's supposed to. So could you talk a little bit about that and enlighten us a little bit? Yeah. So um, in terms of monocrops, I mean, there are practices that can improve soil fertility. Like if you rotate crops, so let's say you plant corn one year and then soy the next year and um, soy kind of brings nitrogen back into the soil and, and it kind of improves soil fertility. And then I think, you know, in and farmers can practice no-till, which doesn't disturb the soil either, but I think you know ultimately it's it's really hard to get those nutrients that you need back into the soil with monocrops. I mean, if you have diversified farming systems, you have different kind of plants contributing different nutrients to the soil, and you can rotate them, and you can use cover crops for when you're not planting a field, and all those things promote soil health and, you know, the, the sustainability of soil and, you know, maintain yields long-term versus, you know, monocropping, which I do get why things like wheat and I guess, I mean, corn and soy, since we plant so much of it need to be planted in monocrops, um, but it doesn't have to be so I think expansive. And I mean, it's definitely not good for the health. So, I mean, I, I understand the kind of bare bones economic reasons for it, but long term, it's just not sustainable. So do we do we see any of these companies moving towards again? They're not going to stop planting corn and wheat and soy anytime soon. But at the same time, moving towards more sustainable practices to at least again, this is like the livestock thing, at least start addressing the, the soil health in some way or or anything like that or. And then, and then, you know, we can move to, OK, so then what are the things we need to do to start pushing them in that direction? Yeah, I think there are some good examples. Uh, I, I know Walmart, for example, I mean, they invested or they kind of made some waves in investing in sustainable agricultural systems and sourcing things from, you know, small farmers. Uh, but I think and there, there is some movement. And I think, you know, there, I think recently, actually last year, um, there were four huge companies, Nestle, Mars, Danon, and Unilever that created the Sustainable Food Policy Alliance, which... Is it real is or is it bullshit? It's, it seems real, I think. Um, I mean, it was just announced last year. And while the text and everything that they promote seems great. I mean, it's it's really going to take time to see, you know, how quickly they can move these changes within the supply chain. And often my concern with kind of big food and ag is, I mean, they really need to focus on how to get small farmers into these supply chains. For example, I know McDonald's really wants to source beef sustainably, which is great, but they're looking at their, you know, 10 biggest suppliers and, you know, that kind of shoulders out, you know, small farmers who, you know, really are doing, are the ones doing good by the land and and doing those more sustainable practices. So while there, there is some good movement, uh, I think in terms of sustainability, I think a lot of these big food companies are seeing the benefit that sustainability offers them. And then I think people want it and, and they're responding to these, these markets of, you know, millennials and parents wanting healthier food and, you know, more transparency. But yeah, I think in terms of, I think there, there has a lot of work needs to be done in terms of um, kind of bringing small farmers to into it, who are the ones that are, doing these more diversified farming systems, small and medium-sized farmers. Hey guys, it's Quinn. If you're listening to this, you obviously like podcasts and you probably like music too. On Spotify, you can listen to all of that in one place for free 
you don't even need a premium account. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can download episodes to listen to offline, wherever you might be, and you can easily share what you're listening to with your friends via Spotify's integrations with social platforms like Instagram. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. You can just search for Important Not Important on the Spotify app or browse podcasts in the Your Library tab. Very convenient. And of course, you can follow us so you never miss an episode of Important Not Important. Uh, Spotify is the world's leading music streaming service, and now it can be your go-to for podcasts, too. Can, can a company like, Mc, and this is so theoretical, but can a company like McDonald's, which, you know, largest real estate holder in the world, you know, serving a, a, a billion burgers a year or whatever it is, can they even start to slightly move in the direction of sourcing things more even regionally, locally, uh, or is it just untenable for their volume? And if it's untenable, what do we do about that? Because we don't have room in this in this race against time for untenable. Yeah, I mean, I would like to think that at least, I mean, I think regionally it would make sense that they would, you know, be sourcing. And I, I mean, I think they do. I think they source to what extent they can regionally and locally. But I think the issue is that they're sourcing from, you know, huge farms. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think the logistical challenge is getting, you know, the the small farms, which, you know, I'm not quite sure if it is possible. But I I think, you know, our food system is going to call for, you know, the whole spectrum of farming systems. small farmers included. And then, you know, sometimes these these larger kind of systems that, you know, do produce a, a lot of food um, on a small amount of land often. So, yeah, I think I think it's a spectrum. And I think we just need to pay attention to, you know, the, the kind of specific production practices that these, whether it's industrial systems or whether it's, you know, small farmers that they're, sure. that they're using. And, and I empathize. I mean, I feel this way sometimes myself. And I told Brian about this. I feel like I'm the bummer in every conversation these days <laughs> because it's always like, yeah, you got to fight on this front too. And it's like, fuck. Um, Just to be clear, it is fun to hang out with you and you are, you are an enjoyable person with some fun, happy things to say sometimes. This is not a therapy <laughs> session, but thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. It's good to hear. It's Those good. are things my children do not say to me in between. Make me a banana sandwich. I'm yeah, like, yeah. Just please. Um, I'm trying to get dressed. It is it is a lot, but you know these questions and and actions do matter. And as much shit as millennials and Generation Z get, they are hell bent on transparency and are not interested in incremental change. And I think as as far fetched as it might seem, and there have certainly been some growing pains along the way, and and looking down their nose at these sort of things, but innovations like. Uh, block the blockchain and food and transparency yeah. on sourcing. When it comes to something like McDonald's, can, their connections to these industrial farms, I think, will be really interesting and compelling if we can start to move the needle on these things. But it's it's yeah, it's gonna it's gonna take a lot of a lot of action on that front. So uh, the next one, one of my favorite ones, is is uh, <laughs> is added sugars. I understand how people might say, "Are we drifting away from the quote unquote conversations most?" vital to our survival as a species if we're talking about sugar. Uh, and I would counter and say, uh, you know, if you want to go a, a to B to C to D on it, you know, added sugars are a nightmare for a variety of reasons. One, which is uh, diabetes is a health nightmare in the U S uh, it's, it's laying waste to our personal health and also crippling our healthcare system, which is making people sicker and um, also unable to afford insurance uh, and sometimes flat out broke uh, leading them as we've seen, to demand wholesale change, uh, radical change, which sometimes means making rash decisions like electing leaders who might kill us all. So um, back to soda and candy and uh, all of the other places that people don't realize where there's added sugars. Again, we're going to put this graphic up of of all the companies that these big companies own. And I'm sure it's not even close to uh, uh, updated because every day it feels like they're buying... uh, you, you, You like a healthy... Uh, product. By the time you've heard about it from three friends and bought in the store, it's been bought by PepsiCo mm. or Coca Cola, right. yeah. which can be great because you can uh, the distribution of those products can be 
can right. suddenly go crazy. It's not necessarily a bad thing. But no, no, no. Yeah. But, uh, but is but it no. enough for them to be doing these things? Are they seeing the yeah. light or are they caving to pressure? And if the answer is they're starting to cave to pressure, it's like, great, let's pile it on. But I would love to hear your perspective on that. So I I would say that I think they're caving to pressure. So kind of when these four big food conglomerates that I mentioned, when they formed, they actually left uh, this Grocery Manufacturers Association, which is or maybe now was considered the most powerful food lobbying group um, in DC and in the United States. And consisted of all the iconic brands that you had already mentioned that we've come to know. And it's for a long time kind of been pushing its own agenda, kind of spending millions of dollars to protect, quote unquote, um, its industry by kind of influencing policy. So everything like GMO labeling, this nutrition labeling, like added sugar. And yeah, quick pause. That was, I remember uh, that was one of Michelle Obama's big pushes. And I know some companies started doing it practically, basically the new nutrition label uh, as it was designed a couple years ago. It's almost two, three years ago now, I think. uh, Added sugars is supposed to be very clearly labeled. And some companies took it on the front foot and started doing it. Uh, Can you actually, uh, do you have any update on that process and where it is and when it becomes required, yada, yada? So from my understanding, actually this GMA, this association, pushed the delay till 2020 um, to to kind of require it but um, a lot but a lot of companies have kind of been like okay if this is what people want we'll kind of do it and and kind of because of these because of this pressure um, a lot of companies uh, in the last couple of years have been leaving this you know so-called powerful association including the four that I mentioned that kind of made their own sustainable food policy alliance, um, mm-hmm. mainly because, you know, they, they were seeing this consumer demand and, 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 you know, they were paying dues to this association that they thought, you know, was pointless because they ultimately want to meet this consumer demand. And if, if this is what people want, then, you know, they're going to start putting labels on it because they have to protect their own brand and reputation. So in a positive light, I think, you know, seeing some of these changes and, and seeing, you know, this, even this big lobbying group, you know, break apart a bit, I'm sure that it's still pretty powerful, is promising. And I think it's showing that, you know, our food choices and the the kind of companies we choose to buy from at our supermarket really does kind of send a you know, a signal to the industry on, you know, what we want and what we demand. I always hope that's true. It seems a little good, to be, too good to be true. No, but. it does. But look, they're, they're buying these companies. Again, like we talked about, there are certainly dark stories of, hey, now you have to put yeah. corn syrup in your shit in order for us to mm-hmm. make it taste better and sell better and distribute it more widely. And that's a hell of a devil's for bargain. Sure. Or, you know, they buy it and just absorb it. And it seems like it's the same brand, but nobody who started there is there anymore. And so the mission isn't there anymore. Yeah. But you don't know that because it's the same packaging. Right. Um, but there's also cases of them, you know, these companies being left relatively autonomous to do their thing. And they're given the resources to 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 make a difference. Um, make a difference to the bottom line and yeah. and for PR purposes. But we're big fans of here of whatever the means are that justify the end. Yeah. So if, yeah. if it's for PR, but it's making people healthier, Fine. great. And if it's not crushing emergency room visits because people's foot fell off because they have diabetes, great. Right. Um, yeah. So, but, but my question is, is when do we start to have enough momentum to they're not just buying these healthy food companies, but we're starting to reduce the production and consumption of things like Diet Coke? And coke yeah. and 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 uh, and candy and 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 shit like that because that's that's been their moneymaker for a hundred years. That's where Warren Buffett made all his cash. Uh, but how can we? When do we start to see a reduction in, in those things? When is there enough pressure? And what can we do to create that kind of pressure on them? Not just hey, also buy these things, but buy less of these things. Yeah, I think is that possible. I think a lot of that will have to come from policy. I mean, the in terms of diabetes and and kind of this access to cheap food. I mean, a lot of it is low income populations, right. people who are living, you know, at or near the poverty line. 
that can't afford food. And so they, they reach for, they can't afford healthy foods. So they reach for these really highly subsidized, you know, within our food system processed foods that end up leading to these, you know, terrible, terrible health outcomes. So I think it's really, you know, but, but it, it is ultimately up to us, I think, to tell our congressmen that, you know, we care about food policy and it's not just about, you know, food stamps, but it's really about creating a, a better food system that everyone has access to. You know, I am grateful that I can go to the farmer's market downtown that's open year round and they have eggs there and they have, you know, all these, you know, locally produced foods that are a little bit, that are, you know, a little bit more expensive than the grocery store, sometimes a lot more, but I'm willing to kind of dish that out for quality, but I'm lucky in that I can afford that. Exactly I mean, so right. many people can't. And you can, you can so, get eight things for $4 at McDonald's. Right. Yeah. Sure. And I mean, for a low-income family that, you know, doesn't have the time to cook because they're working, you know, six jobs. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. So and I think in terms of food justice and, you know, kind of the, the whole food sovereignty movement, I think more people need to kind of be aware of these things and, you know, get on board and, and kind of foster these conversations of, you know, all right, ac- equal access to healthy food should be something that everyone has. And it's not quite the case yet. Uh, and yeah, I feel it doesn't even get talked about enough. Feels like an yeah, understatement. Yeah. That's what sucks. It'd be, you know, bringing this up and then there'd be so many people that are just like, well, you know, there's just so many things to talk about. Right. Yeah. So many it is a hell of a complicated with. one and we want to be specific. But it, yeah, again, in this case, it's coming back to, and I want to keep honing in on this, like, what are the things we can do to put, push these companies and starting to move them in the right directions on some of these things? So what, what else are we missing? Like, uh, what are the question, you know, yeah. Uh, we love the question of like not knowing what we don't know. Like, what are we missing that that you're just like, oh, we should be talking about this thing or this haunts you every day with respect to this question, I guess, not just with respect food to this question. Yeah. What often haunts me every day, especially when I go to the grocery store, is just and to put it harshly, kind of the the sheer ignorance that a lot of people have um, when you know they take that avocado and and put it into their cart. Um, I think if everyone stopped for a second to to take a moment and think about, you know, where did that come from? Who produced it? And how did it get here? You know, even even a moment of thinking before you put it into a cart can have a really big impact. And because I think, you know, a lot of people just, you know, make their grocery list, go to the store. And we've become so far removed from, you know, what's even in season. A cool app actually that I use Brian loves apps. I'm a, I'm a yeah, big app guy. Are you? That's good. Um, it's called, I think it's called like what's, I have to look at it. I think it's called. Um, Please don't be Facebook. Please don't be Facebook. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, it's called Seasonal Food Guide. Um, okay. So you can enter your location mm-hmm. and it just gives you a list of all the foods that are in season. You know, even something as small as that, I mean, even if you're not buying it from your local grocery store, connects you a little bit more to your region and, you know, what is produced there. And, you know, I think if we focus on even buying U.S. products, there was this study by the USDA that came out. Um, so half of our produce is imported, half of, half of all fruits, and then one third of all vegetables are imported. And actually, the USDA predicts that in the future, that number will rise to 80%. Well, Which especially is scary. the middle of California keeps burning down because yeah. that's where the rest yeah. of it comes from. Half yeah. of all fruit in America is imported? Imported, yeah. And one third of all vegetables. And they predict it to reach as high as 80% you know, in the coming years. Wow, yeah, we're barreling towards our seafood numbers. Yeah. So that's great, everybody. Right, yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's, that's scary because I feel like we have a lot of great resources here in the US and we really need to be supporting our farmers here instead of you know looking to to other countries to import our food. Sure. So so even things like okay if you if you don't if shopping at farmers markets is too expensive or you just don't even have access to it, you know, things just like shopping seasonably could be, you know, a good kind of small step in the right direction. Sure. Yeah. And affordability is a nightmare, and we have yeah. to address. It. And I think the farm bill, as we talk, is still stuck in Congress, aka they're not doing anything. Uh, yeah. And is, I mean, we could do a series on the farm bill. 
right. uh, and its history and where it stands now. But affordability is a nightmare. But, you know, I will say a few things. One, we'll put all this stuff in the show notes, of course, all these resources. I think it's called localharvest.com uh, is a oh, good yeah. list of where your farmer's markets are, but also CSAs mm-hmm. you can subscribe to. Mm-hmm. I've right. used that in the past. It's really great. Uh, it's not the fanciest website in the world, but there are ways to take action and find these things. That app you mentioned, what is it again? Say it again. Uh, it's Seasonal called Seasonal Food, food Guide. Guide. Okay. It's a website too. Thanks, yeah. Brian. You're welcome. I'm not sure how many of these folks listen to us. I, I, I would I'd love to see more and more, but you know, a lot of farmer's markets also take SNAP. Or, yeah, or moving yeah. towards that. Um, and also, by the way, if you're lucky enough to be someone who isn't partial to SNAP, guess what? You can often donate to those programs in your city or town to support SNAP at those farmer's markets. Or right. to start it from scratch, you can go and ask. Show up to your farmer's market and say, do you take SNAP? Uh, SNAP uh, can you tell me what, what is SNAP? Go for it. I should know the acronym, but it's the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. I think I think that's mm-hmm. it. Snap, you nailed it. it. Yeah. And so that is, I mean, they're the what people call food stamps. So if you're homeless or low income, um, then you have access to kind of the, this monthly kind of supplement, supplement mm-hmm. your food. And um, I'm glad you mentioned that, Quentin, because there is a, a big movement. And I know in DC, especially, most farmers markets actually accept um, SNAP and then this other Equip, which I think it's actually just for DC, another supplemental um, nutrition program. And, it, and it's cool because I once visited a, a farmers market um, down in Southeast where um, there's a lot of kind of low income. It's a pretty big uh, low-income population there. And mm-hmm. I was there with a friend and we we stopped by a farmer's market and um, we were the only ones paying cash. Everyone was paying Whoa. with kind of these supplemental, wow. which was re- which was really cool to see. And I mean, that, you know, people were actively, you know, going there and, and getting their healthy food um, in this manner. So yeah, and that, so requires, that, that was really promising. That's awesome. And, and there's more of those... All, all over the country, or there should be, and in ways again, if you are lucky enough, have worked hard enough, combination of those, I'm sure it's America to to be in a position to to help that. You can go to your farmers market uh, if you've never been to one. Again, you can find it online really easily. Uh, go there. Go. There's usually a, a headquarters desk or something. If they take tokens or they're selling tote bags, ask them if they take SNAP. If they do, you can usually donate to the program to help uh, fund that to uh, to grow it because those. Funds are not unlimited by any stretch. Mm-hmm. Or if they say no, you can say, how, how can we make that happen? Who do I talk to to help make that happen? You will literally change lives. You will make people healthier. Um, and then the other side of it, once that's going, or if it's already going, you can say, hey, how can I help get the word out about this program? Not just to my friends who could also help supplement the program, but to advertise to those folks who could most take advantage of it. Local newspapers, local websites, local radio stations, flyers, you know, at a 7-Eleven. The point is you want to make a difference in, in 2018 and, and help to get people healthier and help to get them off of some of these bigger corporations that are very slowly becoming interested in making the world a healthier place. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is a way to do it. And also promote local farmers and farmers markets. Yeah. Because, yeah. Absolutely. So, all right, uh, let, let, let's barrel towards uh, towards our conclusion here. Thank you for your time. Uh, these are companies, uh, you know, everybody is still part of capitalism, uh, I guess, in some ways, but we do like, <laughs> to point you like our, it or not. Yeah, yeah. We, we do like yeah. to point our listeners uh, towards these specific ways they can use their voice to vote in their dollar. What do you feel among those things has been the most effective in, let's say, the past five years and going forward the next two to five years can be the most effective? Again, let's let's get pretty specific with these things. So in terms of most effective. I think if you have access to farmers markets, do it, buy it, contribute. Um, if you don't, uh, I think pay attention to the brands that you're buying from. There are a bunch of cool online resources um, and kind of studies that have come out that are showing which companies are doing good and which companies are really falling behind to even get a sense of where we're at, yeah, I think just paying attention to the brands. And if there's a brand that you particularly love, it wouldn't hurt to do some research. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, you could pretty much find it. I mean, it usually t- takes a minute to Google. You can pretty quickly see you know, where they're at and 
you'd be pleasantly surprised sometimes um, on what companies are doing towards mm-hmm. sustainability. Um, mm-hmm. I know I have been in, in just some of my research. So, so there's a lot of, of buying power there. Eat less meat if you can. Obviously, that's a, that's a good one. And I think sure. you know, it. use these, yeah, use these resources to, you know, kind of connect with your region and and eat at least seasonably. In terms of policy, you can get involved at the local level. I mean, the mm-hmm. farm bill is a is a huge thing. But I mean, I know DC. We have a food policy council that governs a lot of food happenings in DC. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure those exist at local levels elsewhere. And that is a great way to get involved with your local food system and kind of drive change that way. Yeah. And I think just getting the conversation going about, you know, how policy in these big, you know, ag institutions shape our dietary, you know, kind of choices. Mm -hmm. Um, And just to be Mm -hmm. aware of, you know these these influences and um, and kind of put your money where kind of your mouth is in, in terms of supporting the kind of food system you want to see. Sure, and I think that dials it down. And what I was hoping we could work work towards is uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to call the CEO of 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 Nestle and and convince them to bottle their water a specific way or to mm-hmm. stop using monocrops. And, and it might really seem like you're the tiniest fish in the world, kind of like voting, but. Start literally with your dollar. If you're overwhelmed yeah. by it all, I, I get it. I empathize with it. Um, what you buy every week and where you buy it. Um, it's like, you know, when your local sandwich shop starts using Square and they discover they haven't sold a roast beef sandwich in 10 years, but they had no idea because they had no way to track it. You're a tiny <laughs> fish, but, uh, you know, you start to push everybody in your town to stop buying Coca-Cola and your store might just start to notice that right. they're not selling as much and then they have to report that. And it's a tiny fucking blip. But it matters, and we need to do it. And and it mm-hmm. just just start with your start with your dollar. Awesome, love it. That that was great, Brian. Bring us home here. I'm going to bring everybody home. Okay, that's well, great. The, the three of us again, Jennifer. Seriously, thank you so much for for being here and chatting with us. Yeah, no this problem. has been super informative, and I hope people listen and and take heed. <laughs> um, uh, we have. Uh, oh wait, I skipped that part. We'll edit that out. Hey, Jennifer, who else should we talk to? Don't sigh at me like that. Jennifer, we love getting recommendations for other people to talk to uh, from our from our, uh, our guests because you you are great and you know great people. If you don't know anybody now, you can tell us later. But anybody who's kicking ass like you are, we'd love to. Doesn't chat. have to be food. Can be space. <laughs> can be can be microbiology. You know, whatever things that are affecting people. Everybody now or in the next ten years, basically. Right. I mean, I would go and push. Uh, people to go talk to their local farmers and people who are doing innovative work in their communities. Um, I think that's where the real game changers are. Um, awesome. Are these kind of are the people that you know you you don't even realize you interact with you mm-hmm. know often through these farmers markets and these kind of more innovative food hubs. So yeah, I would I would say that. Awesome. We will we will find some. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, Rock and roll. All right. Now got- on to the part that I was going to say before and screwed up. Take your time. It's a uh, lightning round time. Quinn and I are going to ask you a few questions. Quinn's going to ask you really long ones that aren't lightning round questions. And I'll ask you some okay. real lightning round questions. Do you feel like there's a tension here, Jennifer, <laughs> that maybe you I, don't want to oh, be oh, part of? Yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure. No, I'm trying to stay out, out of it, though. So <laughs> There's that great job. scene from Breaking Bad where Jesse's sitting at the dinner table with the family and just slurping down the milk. And he's just like, this feels... Really awkward. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I feel like that's what Jennifer has to deal no, with. I'm, I'm not in the room, so maybe I don't feel, you know, as... <laughs> well, then you're not wearing the cool slippers that we're wearing. Uh, I have my own cool slippers, so... Oh, nice. He doesn't let me walk on the rug anymore. <laughs> well, we have a very nice rug, and we should keep it clean. Yeah, we shouldn't have bought a white rug. Can we get to the question? <laughs> yeah, okay, lightning round. Jennifer, hey, when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? And this was early in my college career. I was really lost, you know, you can tell from my background and kind of what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go with my career. And I was used to spending my summers in Poland. So I decided to kind of give it a shot and try and do an internship or work over the summer there. Um, So I kind of decided to go big and uh, kind of ridiculous and actually ended up in the president's of Poland's office as an intern. Whoa. And it was pretty 
unbelievable. I got to meet the president and everything, but I had zero experience in public administration. Um, I mean, I am fluent in Polish, uh, but it wasn't, you know, my strong, a strong language at that point. And it was one of the most terrifying and rewarding experiences. And that really broke down barriers for me. It kind of showed me that, you know, if you are passionate, and if you have drive, you can accomplish a lot, even if you don't really know much about it or have the experience. So, yeah, that was that was the kind of moment of like, okay, I can I can run with this, or I can I can do, you know, more. Yeah, that's wild. That's that's pretty impressive. But most people, uh, that's not where they finish up. But that is that's awesome. And it takes <laughs> some hustle. I'm, I'm I'm proud to say we've had a lot of awesome hustlers on this show. They've it seems maybe seems like to them or they're humble enough to say that they accidentally ended up in these places, but clearly uh, you worked your way there and that's pretty dope. I mean, it was a little, it was a little bit of luck, but it was an amazing experience for sure. Well, it's all what you make of it. Hey, who is someone in your life that's positively impacted your work in the past six months? You cannot say Brian. Okay. You were going to, weren't you? (laughs) So I would say, and and this has been kind of more of, you know, kind of ongoing support, but I had, so Dr. Grady Lovelace is a a professor, all-in-one professor, advisor, and mentor. And she recently got this amazing award for kind of community-based research and her passion for driving equitable change and justice in the food system is unmatched. And so I've always kind of looked up to her and we've, I've been working with her and then a couple other people on some academic work, hopefully to be published soon. Um, so yeah, that that is, she's definitely been an ongoing kind of inspiration. Awesome. That's like Quinn so, for me. Oh, don't. Oh. I'm, I'm being serious. You don't have to, I'll stop walking on the rug. You don't have to. I was just so you know, Jen, I was being serious. That's very kind of um, you. I'm, I'm not about to publish anything <laughs> academic, nor am I a three in one. Anyways. <laughs> Hey, Jen, uh, what do you do specifically when you feel overwhelmed? Friends and wine. <laughs> nice. In what order? If I could, uh... Uh, you know, Hopefully it together. depends, you know, sure. sometimes it's a chill night. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's going out and dancing it all out. You know, it's all about balance, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's a good one. Jen, how do you consume the news? So I um, only very recently have have gone on the Twitter game. I usually actually love the news apps. So I have a few on my phone and Washington Post is my go-to, but I try and scan headlines of the others. Um, So I'm kind of a little... I mean, not old school in the sense that I'm using apps, but (laughs) but I do do like the, the newspapers. Awesome. Jen, if you could Amazon Prime one book to Donald Trump, what would it be? Recently, I've been reading um, The Unsettling of America by Wendell Berry to go along with this whole agricultural theme. Um, I think the current president can use some kind of humility and humbleness and better touch base with rural America. And this book kind of does that. It's a little old, but it was written in the 70s, but it's kind of sad to think how accurate it still is. Um, I mean, how kind of we haven't really improved much um but hopefully that will change so awesome. yeah i would amazon prime him that book rock and roll it's going on the list it's going on our official amazon prime list all right and speaking of uh you just joining twitter where can our followers uh find you online um my handle is my first and last name jennifer mlechko oh great okay A tough last name to spell but look up milk in polish and, and then it'll come up. <laughs> perfect perfect Groovy. Awesome. Man, Jennifer, thank you so much for your time today. I know at times it might have felt like it was all over the place. Obviously, there's a lot, but I do really like where we dial it down to, which is like, yeah, no there's a lot. But and here's thanks the for one keeping thing it on track. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> barely. It was all me. Sorry, man. It was, as usual, it's all Brian. <laughs> um, but it, it does matter. And we'd love to have you yeah. back to dig into each thing, each of these things a little more uh, down the line if, if you're not terrified. Yeah, no. <laughs> You guys weren't as weren't as scary, so it's good. weren't as scary as you thought, or yeah, what? What do you minute. mean? Hold on. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> no, I mean that in Just the kidding. best possible sense. Just kidding. She's out of here. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time today. Uh, we really and, appreciate uh, it. Yeah, we'll talk to you more soon. Keep kicking ass. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thank Have you for all that you do. Yeah.
No worries. Take care. Yeah, you too. too. Bye. You guys too. Thanks. Thanks to our incredible guest today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. It's so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. (laughs) And you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks.